Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yardena Azman. Here with my friend and Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachah Psachim, daf pay 80. Wow, Ann, we're like actually sort of getting to the home stretch. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're, Don't have those chickens before they I know, hatch. but we're getting there. Um, well, this daf also continues its discussion of yesterday's daf. What happens if sort of, you know, different portions of B'nai Israel of the Jewish people are tame um, and in different ways, right? So it's going to go through a scenario of, let's say, most of Israel were Zavim, right? So that's a particular type, type of Tuma, and only the minority was tame mates. You know, what would happen in that particular case? So it's going to have all these different sort of scenarios of different proportions of this group being tame and that group being tame and this one being in the majority, and this one being in the minority, and who gets to bring the Korban Pesach, or maybe doesn't get to bring the Korban Pesach, or if you get bumped to Pesach Shani. But there was one piece here on the top of the daf um, that I thought was uh, particularly interesting, and it had to do with the, um, with the Shvatim. And the scenario that it basically brings up is, is what happens if one whole Shevet is Tameh, right? So we know, and I was taken by this because when we talk about Yisrael, or usually, we just don't see a lot of talk about the Shvatim itself. And also, you know, after the destruction of the second temple, sorry, of the first temple, right? Well, I would say even before the destruction of the first temple, right? We know that, a, you know, Assyria sort of took away those 10 tribes. You were just left with Yehuda and Binyamin. And sort of like that categorization or discussion of B'nai Yisrael being defined as the Shvatim was... I don't know. I feel like it was lost a little bit. Do you hear what I'm saying, Anne, when I say that? Like, it's not... I think it was, it, I think it was lost a whole right. bit. It's like, what? Well, uh, you know, now it's just like Yehuda and Binyamin. And so we're talking about like... Right, we're talking about like hundreds and hundreds of years later to go back to talking about Shvatim. So we have this statement. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Afilu shevet echad tamei ushar kol shvatim tohorim halulotzin latzman v'halulotzin latzman. So Rabbi Shimon says, what if you have a case where one tribe is Tameh and the rest of the tribes are pure, right? And so we say that, you know, the pure ones will sort of do the Korban Pesach for themselves in the state of purity. And the Tameh, that Tameh Shevet will do it, you know, by themselves. Now, again, implying that they actually do it in Nisan, they don't get bumped till Pesach Sheni. So the Chiddush here, right, what's, what's innovative here is that it's obviously not a majority of B'nai Israel; It's just one full Shevet. My time as a Rabbi Shimon. So what's the reason for this? Right? That one whole Shevet could actually be called an entire community. Um, and so that's really what's sort of innovative there. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Rabbi Yehuda says, Right? So he says, okay, let's say again, you have this case where one Shevet is Tameh and the rest of the Shevetim are Tahor. So he says, okay, no, you would still do, you're going to do it in a state of impurity, meaning because what the communal, you know, we don't, we don't like divide the communal offerings. And so here, what I think Rabbi Yehuda is saying is, is that it doesn't matter that it's like the Tame people are doing and the Tahor people are doing it and they have to somehow do it separately. Right. He's actually saying everybody's just going to still bring it together because we don't separate out this community korban. Rabbi Yehuda Tzavar, right? What's Rabbi Yehuda's thinking? So the same thinking as Rabbi Shimon. 
right? And so here, since you have where an entire community is sort of, you know, uh, is impure, it's, it's like a case of half and half. It's like where half is pure and half is impure. And so therefore, right, we don't divide the community offering and therefore all of them can do it in a state of Tuma. So I thought this was a very interesting, uh, first of all, an interesting way to bring the Shvatim into it. Again, because I don't think by this time we're really ever talking about Yisrael as comprised as Shvatim. So this is really going back to a period of time, like pre, you know, really during the time of the first Beit HaMikdash. Um, But I think Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda are really introducing two key concepts here. And I think this gives us, again, sort of a philosophical underpinning the Korban Pesach is really meant to be a community celebration. There's something very communal about it. So even if you have one full shevet, right, that is tame, we're going to consider that to be a kahal unto itself, and therefore they will be allowed to participate in it. And if you think about it, it makes sense. How could you have where an entire shevet wouldn't be allowed to bring the Korban Pesach and everybody else would? Because really what the Korban Pesach does is it's sort of a renewal every year, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later on a little bit more, it's, it's a renewal. It's like you're affirming again your place within B'nai Yisrael, right? You're affirming that you're really part of this nation. So to have a whole Shevet sort of be excluded from that doesn't really make sense. And then I think Rabbi Yehuda's point is, you know, She'in Korban Sibor Haluk, we're not going to make them do it separately. Like once we have that a whole group is Tameh, we're just going to let them bring it together. It doesn't need to be Latzman, Latzman. Now, I don't know what the technical piece of that is. Does it mean that they weren't in Chaburot together? Like, that's the one thing and I, I didn't quite understand. Like, what does it mean that they brought it by themselves? Um, but, I, but I think even, you know, he, Rabbi Yehuda is clearly sort of taking it a step further um, than, uh, than Rabbi Shimon, you know, by really trying to say, like, it doesn't even need to be, um, uh, I, I, I think what he's basically saying is they could give it together. They don't have to give it even separately. So what I thought was interesting about that is the the same distinction that is in play in the question, right, about the Shvatim, about the tribes, that question is kind of, I don't know, blurred, the lines are blurred, uh, the lines between the Shvatim are blurred by the time you get to the answer, which is that they could bring it together, right, and we don't have to worry about which shave it with which shave it. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, hundreds of years later, those Shvatim distinctions that might have been very important once upon a time to each of the Shvatim are probably less, uh, besides the fact that they might have been less significant, why less significant, they weren't discernible, right? People just, they have to assume that they're from Yehuda or maybe Benjamin or maybe, you know, Levi if they're Kohanim or Levim. But like, that's it. They can't say, oh, I'm from Naphtali or I'm, you know, they... So without those specific shvatim, I feel like the question had to be asked because that's the that's the tradition and that makes sense as a how do we divide up in Israel? Except for that, at the end of the day, the answer is we're not dividing up in Israel anymore. We are, you know, we're going to blur those lines in our psaq that says that you could go forward together. So to right, and I wonder if there's also like a hopeful piece of this as well. Like hopefully, we'll be sort of reunited in a way that all all the tribes will be there. But you know, I don't. That may be a little bit of a stretch. Um, all right. I, but we can say I'm mean to it anyway. Um, all right. I think now we're going to move on to the next Mishnah. And over to you.
Yeah, um, so I'm now on Amabet, and there's a new Mishnah. A Pesach, Shenizrak Demo, right? We've got the Korban Pesach, and the blood has been sprinkled. And then afterwards, meaning after this Korban has technically been completed, right? Then the Zrika, the sprinkling, is really the end, the closure of the of the offering. And then it becomes clear that the either the meat or the blood, it's not exactly clear, was impure, meaning one or the other was impure. Not the bringer of the korban, but the actual korban. Hatzitz mratze. So the tzitz, this is the front plate that the Kohen Gadol wears, right? And the idea is that it will appease God, meaning that there's a level of sanctity uh, of, of holiness, right, in the very attire of the Kohen Gadol that is, it gives a little bit of wiggle room for an after-the-fact discovery that the Kohen Korban had been Tameh, when obviously you shouldn't offer a Korban that is Tameh if you have an alternative. Um, and for some Korban, it wouldn't work anyway. But in this case, the seats will appease God on this, you know, less than ideal offering. Now, what happens if the body of um, the body of the person who brought the Korban is also Tameh, right? Meaning I said, the first case is, you know, where you have the animal, the blood or the meat is impure. Now, what if the person's body was impure? Then the front plate is not sufficient to appease God. Right? Why? Because presumably what happens is that person, that person who is Tameh, has not fulfilled, meaning, and then again, discovers it retroactively, has not fulfilled his obligation to bring that Korban Pesach. So he has to do it again, meaning, again, presumably Pesach Sheni. But so then what that means, right, is that it's, you can't just forgive it, right? The seats cannot be forgiving in this case or, or allow for an allowance. So the very case where we have this phenomenon of the seats of the front plate being uh, you know, a coverage, let's say, for the bidyevid, for the less than ideal situation. So the the Chazal, they talk about it first in the context of a nazir, right? A nazir is, it's discussed in Sefer Bamidbar, and uh, basically it's the person who takes an oath to avoid, and there's several things that the person must avoid, any and all great products, any contact with a dead body, and not cutting, uh, not taking a shave, uh, a shaver, a razor to his head, which also means no haircuts. And the default um, time zone for the Nazir is 30 days. It's not the only way to do it, but that's the that's the basic plan, um, the basic template. So when the Chazal say about the Nazir, right, and alternatively, one who does the Korban Pesach, that the Tzitz in general will appease Hashem if you have something that is Tameh in the blood or the meat, then implicit in that statement is but not if the impurity was rendered in the person who was bringing the carbon to begin with, right? It's like a, it's called a inference. I mean, I guess, right? In this, it's an inference from what is said. We understand what is not said, namely that the, that there is no appeasement if the person, if there's too much goof in the person who's bringing the carbon. And then the mission continues, and this is a new category, right? For us, it's a new halacha. If we have, uh, the rendering of if it's become impure from in the nature of tumat hatahom, the the impurity of the deep, 
to home, you'll know that word from the creation story. Um, of the deep, and in that case, the tzitz, the front plate of the Kohen Gadol, will indeed appease God that there has been some, well, we have to figure out what this case is. home is specifically the case where there's a grave that is unknown to be there, and somebody passes over it. So, for example, let's say that Nazir passes over the grave of a person who is unknown to be there. Now, he's already taken an oath not to come in contact with a dead body, but he has inadvertently become Tame, and he only finds out that he's done this afterwards, whether that means, you know, maybe even after he's finished his Nizirut, what, what then, right? And because this is a kind, I, I believe this is, now I'm talking as opposed to commentary or something, but my, my understanding is the very fact that um, he... Well, let's say he he wouldn't have gone there had he but known that there was a grave there, right? It's a completely inadvertent. And he discovers it after there's no way for him to do anything to go fix it, right? There's nothing you could do. He's come in contact, you know, in passing inadvertently with a dead body. Now what? So that Tumatata home carries with it a whole bunch of leniencies because there's a recognition of the fact that, that you know, I would say, what are you going to do? Right. So the Torah allows for that. You know, it doesn't mean everything is smooth and clean, but it does mean that the Hatzitz Maratzeh, right, that the front plate will appease for the fact that there was unknown Tuma that was discovered after the fact. Well, don't worry about it. You know, the appeasement has been made and your Korban is a Korban. You don't have to go back and handle it again, let's say, which is different, let's say, maybe than the Nazir himself might have needed in a theoretical way. And it's why it's so important to be able to say that there is um, a generosity here in the halacha that allows for Tumatatahom, to, or the person who's, who has who has inadvertently come in contact with Tuma and therefore has Tumatatahom to be restored to whatever whatever needs to happen, right? It's kind of a, le- it's not a lesser Tuma but it's a lesser application of the stringencies that might happen for one who is. Um, yes. Yeah, so Tumas Hatam is a very interesting uh, topic and we're actually going to see it again in Nazir um, on uh, page 63. Um, and it makes sense that it would be in Nazir because this is sort of the two cases bringing the Korban Pesach or with Nazir, the Tumas Hatam is, is an issue. And the idea of Tumas Hatam, as you said, Anne, is it's unknown Tumas. So the example you and I, you know, keep talking about is like, you know, the, you cross a road and then the next day you find out they dug up the road and they found a corpse there. Um, and it's interesting that in Nazir, at least, they make a distinction between, you know, is it Tame regarding Truma? Is it Tame just regarding, uh, you know, uh, but maybe your Tahor when it comes to Korvan Pesach and for the Nazir? Um, but one interesting point that, that comes out of the discussion in, in Nazir, which we should keep in mind, is that if, if, the tuma is, let's say it was underneath straw or stones, that's going to be tumas hatahom. But let's say it's because you couldn't see it because it was in water or it was dark or it was like hidden in the crevice of a rock. That's not going to be tumas hatahom. Because in other words, those are places where you can't normally see. So maybe a person actually should be uh, a little bit more careful. Um, and um, and the other, you know, so so I think that's one thing that's interesting. Um, and the other piece that's interesting is, is does Tuma Satahom apply to all types of Tuma? Um, in most places, it seems to be that it really only applies to Tuma Hamates, 
right? That, uh, you know, that somebody died and there just happened to be a body that was there, um, you know, but what about if you found, you know, like, uh, you know, sherets or something, you know, like one of those rodents, but, it, but it seems to be much more an issue about, you know, a corpse like that, that type of tumor. I think that's where we have the most transference, right. right? Meaning where it's going to contaminate to the greatest degree, you know, whoever comes along. Right, for sure. Um, so just, you know, a, a concept to think about and, and we'll definitely be learning more about it later. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank <music> you.